All right, hey guys, Mets News here. Two things. Number one, the draft expert interview was supposed to be two hours and 40 minutes. Zoom cut off. It's only going to be an hour and 40 minutes. It cuts off at a weird time. My apologies. The interview's still great. He's coming on next year. Number two, people have been asking me, who do you support, the players or the owners in this dispute? You've heard, we've heard from the guests you've had, but you haven't really given a real point of view. I support the owners. I don't support anybody. I'm a little more leaning towards the owners in the, for two reasons, in which I'll point out, and then it's on to the interview, which I know most of my listeners really want to hear my draft expert. But... By the way, I'm recording this on May 25th, so a lot can change since then. A lot has changed in the world, most likely. So this is the past Ben's perspective. I could have a future perspective the next time I release a podcast. But number one, um, the players, are, if you make $16 million and you, have, and you have to take a pay cut and make $8 million, people are getting fired and furloughed and don't have health insurance and don't know where their next meal is coming from, and it's a disgrace. These players should be able to take pay cuts. Number two, they have the best health insurance in the world. They go to, I used to go to hospitals for special surgeries to learn. I'm not going to get into it, but I, I went to hospital for special surgeries. And that's where, you want to know where the day I went, who was there? It was Lucas Duda getting his hamstring checked out. So they have the best doctors in the world with a snap of their fingers and they can't play. If it's not safe, that's another thing. But with the NBA and NHL starting up and with co- the Governor Cuomo where in New York saying, you know what, it's time to bring sports back. No fans, but sports should be brought back. Then I think Major League Baseball should really, you know, if they're going to have negotiations, which I get, they shouldn't release it. I think it's stupid that Matt Scherzer released that tweet. I think it's stupid Marcus Stroman released tweets. I think it's very – it wasn't smart for – Blake Snell to say the comments he made, which Will Algard said on the other podcast, but I'm just, I don't see it. I mean, people are getting fired. I understand. I heard this guy, his name on YouTube, Draft Neck Mark, whatever, who's a baseball analyst. And he says, you know, you got to put these two things aside. I, I, I don't understand why people are saying, bringing up, people are getting furloughed. I'm quoting him. I'm reading it. So, and I quote, people are getting furloughed and fired. I don't understand why people are bringing us into the baseball argument when it comes to people taking salary cuts. Well, here's my response to that. Executives all over the country have taken pay cuts so people could still get paid. Everyone, like the guys like Mike Trout, aren't going to make as much money as they would if they played a full season. Everybody should be taking pay cuts. If you make $8 million and you still get paid $4 million, that's not enough? After your agent cut, that's not enough? I think that's a stupid argument when you have people getting furloughed and fired, and I'll repeat myself here, that don't know where their next meal is coming from. It just doesn't help. And baseball is not the big game in town. If they have a strike and they don't play and all these other sports play, it hurts the hardcore fans. It hurts everybody. So, and the owners lose money. And you have teams like the New York Mets who are up for sale, the Oakland A's who need this to play, who need the revenue. Without the revenue, the the teams can go bankrupt. And I know this for a fact. I've done research on it. It's all out there. It's been reported on ESPN. It's been reported on all the different news sites that if the owners don't make money, this could severely affect the minor league systems and they would, and the minor league baseball going down hurts Everything. It hurts that city because that 
I, I don't want to get into that. But anyway, the players and the owners should go behind closed doors, work this out, because it doesn't help the doesn't help the image of baseball, and it's just this is dumb. It's millionaires versus billionaires, and that's my opinion on it. So now let's get on to what people have been waiting for: the draft expert interview. I hope you all enjoy. Subscribe to all my platforms. Next week is Trent Viola coming on the podcast. I couldn't say that at the end of my episode. He'll talk about his college experience, and that's really it. I hope you guys are staying safe and have a good one. All right, welcome everybody to the Mets News Podcast. You've been clamoring to hear from my draft expert. I've been working very hard to get him. So here he is, my draft expert. How are you? Uh, I'm doing good. I'm still sitting here in my my war room post-draft. The the draft. That that was one of the most interesting things I've ever watched on television. Yeah, it was – it was rough leading up to the draft this year. I didn't have my normal couple weeks of, of campus workouts to look at and, and TV shows. So wasn't as thrilled with my draft board this year as other years. I mean, the commissioner was at it like his house. And then I thought that was weird when they would pan back to him and he would say the package. He's like, oh, well. You had yeah, he was, um, yeah he, it was, it was kind of awkward watching him a little bit on there, but. At least they had a draft. We had something to watch since there were no sports going on. Yeah, and I, I don't know if the NFL is going to start on time this year. I mean, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, they just I just saw now that they're starting to open up some facilities a little bit, you know, so hopefully things will start up. Um, but it's going, to be, it's going to be a challenge for teams, especially teams you know, that have new coaching staffs like your Giants and, and the Cowboys. You know, that, that's got to be hard on, on those guys. So that's one advantage my Eagles have in the NFC East this year. I think the one. Eagles are, are the pick to win the NFC East. Uh, the Giants are not ready yet. I think they're going to get to six wins. That's my hoping. Uh, I, think, I think the Giants will, will be getting better. I, on paper, the Cowboys, I think, have the best talent. And by process of losing their – their coach that was the Eagle savior that kept Dallas mediocre over the years. Um, I just, I just, I don't know. Dallas is on paper. Just, just looks good to me. Uh, I don't know. It, it's going to be close. And, and the Eagles have a, a pretty tough schedule. They have some, some stretches where they have to, I think, go out to San Francisco and then they, they have Seattle and they have, they have some tough ones. I think, the main thing with the Eagles is, is their quarterback. If the quarterback can stay healthy, I think the Eagles are the, are the pick to win the division. Yeah, he, he's definitely key. Quarterback is the key. And I, I hope for the Cowboys that Dak Prescott's um, contract situation provides a good distraction for them. And I also hope that their pick, CeeDee Lamb, become, tries to become a prima donna and takes away from Amari Cooper and they start fighting. So I hope they can have some internal struggles. But your Giants finally took my advice. And started drafting offensive line instead of worrying about running back and all that stuff. So, you know, I think the Giants went drafted three offensive linemen. And in their defense, they improved. Where's Norris Jenkins? They got rid of him and they drafted that guy in the fifth round. I don't remember his name, but apparently. Uh, they drafted, uh, I think, the guy in the fourth round at UCLA, Holmes. Yeah, that's or, the guy. He was, he was among my top 15 corners coming out on my board. He's a, he's a, a 
he's not necessarily an outside corner. He's mainly a slot guy, but he's he's pesky. He has that attitude needed. And yeah, I thought that was a good pick. Uh, that was a good pick for the Giants. So why did the Eagles draft a quarterback? That's what everyone's been asking me, and I said I have no idea. Well, the worst part of it was, you know, during the draft, Coach Weber, myself, Coach Bear, Spade, we're texting back and forth, and I think we even made a joke when Pittsburgh was up that they're going to draft Jalen Hurts, and I was laughing about it. Then Pittsburgh didn't. Then the Eagles were up, not even thinking that that was an option when they picked them. I, I was, like, speechless. I was absolutely speechless, knowing all the other areas they needed, um, you know, with safety yet, um, possible offensive line, linebacker, even wide receiver again. When they picked them, I, I couldn't believe it. But, you know, as time passes, I have, I have my, my thoughts on it, though. Um, well, one thought is Eagles are going to be up against the salary cap. You know, they have some high, um, high contracts. They can't afford to spend five, six, seven, eight million dollars a year on a backup quarterback. So they get a rookie. They have him locked up for four years on a rookie contract. So that's one that helps them. Two, if Wentz does get hurt, um, they refer to the Dallas Cowboys actually. Back when um, Tony Romo got hurt, they had Dak Prescott, the young quarterback, waiting, and they won, I think, thirteen and three. So. They got a cheap quarterback, a young one to develop, just in case something happens with Carson. So I guess, I guess that could pay off as much as any wide receiver they could have drafted or linebacker. I guess. I think my thing is if let's say Wentz gets hurt, and he does have an injury history of getting hurt near the end of the season, and this quarterback takes you on a monster run, what do you do then? Do you just bench the quarterback again, or do you? Well, he just uh, Wentz has an extension of over a hundred million. Um, I guess in Eagles in the past have been known to draft quarterbacks and use them as like trade assets. It goes all the way back to like AJ Feely when they had Donovan McNabb. They turned that into a second round pick. Um, I um, Kevin Cobb they drafted while, while um, McNabb was so there. That they turned that into a second round pick. You know, I guess they could use either Hertz or or even Wentz as trade bait. You know, and for Wentz, you know, you're gonna get you're gonna get a first round pick for a, for a quarterback. So I I guess, but hopefully Wentz stays healthy. You know, and you know, last year's injury was a fluke. Just it was just a, a shot to the head in the playoffs. It wasn't like it was another knee or back injury like he's had. So hopefully he stays healthy. Oh, that game was a mess. They they should have gotten a penalty on that play. Yeah, but you know, I'm I'm old school football. I'm so sick of like every time there's a, there's a hit, watching a flag or worrying about a flag coming out. Um, it's football. It's playoff football. Emotions are running high. Things happen. Um, but if they would have had a good backup, a young backup quarterback, they still would have beat Seattle that day. They still almost beat them with a 40 year old backup with a torn hamstring. Oh, what's his name? I forget his name, but. Used to be the Giants. Yeah. But the thing with the Giants is they have the pieces on offense to do well. Their defense is what scares me. And now with DeAndre Baker getting arrested, that's all I'm going to up. <laughs> well, DeAndre Baker. Well, now you drafted a guy from UCLA that could step in, step into his spot. 
Um, they definitely shirt up their offense. You drafted what the safety out of Alabama, so he's a he's going to be a good player. You know, you can support the run, and he also can defend the pass. Um, yeah, but your defense, you really didn't do too much other than your secondary. I know you took some flyers on some linebackers late. Um, those seventh round picks, you know, if they pan out great, if not, maybe they can help on special teams. But yeah, other than that, you really didn't help your defense that much. I, the defense is really bad last year. I, I could think of many games, the giant offense won for them and the defense blew. Well, yeah. you could be in trouble now in, in the NFC East. We look at Dallas's offense with Zeke Elliott and now you have CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper. Um, the, well, the Redskins still. I'm not sold on Dwayne Haskins as their quarterback, but he's in his second year. You have their young wide receiver, McLaren, coming back. Um, and while I'm not sold on the Eagles yet, their offense is definitely much faster than it was. Uh, you know, they're going to have Miles Sanders back at running back. You have the two tight ends. Um, hopefully Deshaun Jackson can stay healthy. Uh, they made a trade. For a receiver from San Francisco, that's a track star. Um, they drafted speed, so yeah, you're going to have to score a lot of points. I wasn't sold on DeAndre Baker to begin with. I thought he was an overrated pick, but after this whole situation, and I hope he proves me wrong. But after this whole situation, I'm not. I don't want him. I'm... Yeah, that's. I I only saw a quick little thing in the story. What he he apparently pulled a gun at a party. He tried to rob somebody who steal watches as well. So yeah. first round was he was the late first round pick you got right last he was year. Part of the Beckham round picks, yeah. Yeah, so he's he's got first round pick money, which is in the millions, and he's robbing people of watches. I I know. I, why would you rob someone of like a cheap watch? It wasn't an expensive watch too. It's just you shouldn't rob someone in general. But that's just stupid. <laughs> that that is really. Really dumb. Yeah, to, to rob people when you're already a millionaire. Makes no sense. I'm, I wasn't a fan of him last year. He, there were, I, I think of in the Philly, in the Philly game when Eli Manning played, yeah. the last drive, it was like third and eight, and DeAndre Baker didn't even run after one of your wide receivers. And if, if, if we would have gotten a stop, I'm pretty sure we would have won. Well, if he couldn't run with the wide receivers we had out there the last game of the year, maybe he needs a new career. Maybe robbery is, is what he has in store for his future because our wide receivers were horrible at the end of the year. I like Sanders. Was he a running back? Yeah, Miles Sanders was our running back. I, I think he could be a good piece for you. I don't think he should be an every game running back, but he could be a. No, I don't, I don't think with the Eagles offense, they don't use just one back and just mm -hmm. and carry it 20, 25 times. He's a guy that's going to probably carry the ball 10 to 15 times to get another couple. Um, out of the backfield, a couple of receptions, but yeah, they don't they don't use their backs 20, 25 times. You know, Boston Scott was a little guy that kind of like took over for him. Yeah, he's another guy. He's the one that really hurt the Giants. You know, he's another one. Get him 10, 10 12 touches a game, um, and that's kind of his role. They're still missing that kind of bigger back that they had when Laguerre Blunt was there. Um, they had a guy in the practice squad, Elijah Holyfield from Georgia. They also got one this year. It's even after the draft, they go and sign undrafted free agents. They got a running back from Cincinnati, um, who I had on my, my draft board. I'm not sure if he made my top 15, but he was close. 
he is a five foot 11, 220 some pound bowling ball. Um, mm -hmm. He's not real quick or shifty, but he, uh, he's a load to bring down. So he's somebody I think that the Eagles picked up um, after the draft that I think you'll see him on the 53 man roster. Well, actually, he's a what, 55 man now. I think they increased it by two. What's your opinion of the adding a couple more playoff teams to the to the bracket? I'm not um, a fan. I'm not a fan. I think it you know it waters it down. Um, I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to generate more money, um, more playoff teams, mean more interest, um, more interest in the later part of the year because you think your team's still in it. Um, but I think it just waters it down, and not that I don't know if this is a. a Good trend. I don't want to use the Giants, but I mean, if you add teams, you let a team that goes in that goes eight and eight, and then all of a sudden they knock off a team that you know, was I don't know, 14 and two, 13 and three, worked all year. Because um, in any given day, any given thing, something could happen. But just I don't know. I, I just I think it waters it down too much. Just like the hockey. I mean, everybody makes it in hockey. So no, I'm not for that. Well, I can tell you from experience, the Giants have made the playoffs nine and seven, and they've done a lot yeah. of things. I, I knew that was I knew that was was coming up. You know, the David Tyree. I think they should check his helmet for for Stickum because something happened that day. So terrible. Which which projects Eli Manning into this into what you call a Hall of Famer. Um, that ball bounces off his helmet like it should have. There's no talk about Eli Manning. Well. I was watching something yes on the NFL Network actually, and they said that Eli Manning, the second time they took him to the Super Bowl, should have won the MVP that year because his season stats were like out of control. So he he had some good seasons, but as a whole, I, I, no, I said I like Eli Manning as a person. I think he's he's a good person, um, but that look on his face when things don't go right in a game is the worst look in football. It is the worst. <laughs> Now, I enjoyed it because, as you know, our, my Eagles pretty much dominated the Giants for the past couple seasons, so I got to see that face a lot. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, i just just not a fan of him as a quarterback. I just think in clutch time. Oh, here we go. The clutch time. is really good. Every, he's, just, he's a gunslinger. He just throws it down the field. Yeah, Brett, Favre, Brett Favre was a good gunslinger <laughs> without having that, that look on his face. Um, Eli, the gunslinger, that's true. He kind of is a gunslinger because he had the, basically as many interceptions as touchdowns. So, yeah, I guess. Gunslinger I, shot himself in the foot many times. Yeah. Speaking of shooting themselves, like Plaxico Burris did in the leg. I know. Another giant. <sighs> Oh, listen, I, I just – Victor Cruz is my wide receiver. I missed the most out of those Super Bowl winning teams, I guess. Well, he was, he was good. Name the college. He torched the Eagles. Yeah, well, he torched a lot of people until he got hurt. Um, but name the college he went to. He went to Temple, right? No. No. I had no He'll idea. Never. University of Massachusetts. He's a small he was a small school sleeper in that draft. He was an undrafted free agent. Um, he was. Oh, I wasn't sure if he got drafted late or undrafted. But yeah, he was from from University of Massachusetts. 
Yeah, he torched the Eagles, especially in big games. He always knew how to until the Eagles hurt him. Can't help it. Didn't he hurt his knee like in a touch in the end zone, like on a? He went up yeah, on a jump ball. Yeah. Yeah. So did he catch it? No. No. So he hurt himself, and the Eagles didn't do anything. That was the only time I think I only remember Eagles fans cheering a giant fan, giant player leaving the field. That was the only time I remember it. The Eagles fans have been known to cheer. You know, they cheered Michael Irvin when he when he was hurt. Um, yeah, but the Eagle fans, though, we are very passionate, but we are – we're good fans, you know. We've made a few questionable – a few questionable things. But. Well, Eagle fans are very funny. That that um, one of them's on YouTube. I watch him a lot. He's funny. Is that the one Coach Bear sends out all the time? The guy Heavy that goes – What? The heavier guy? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's him. He just tapes himself going crazy about the Eagles. Yeah, that's what Coach, Coach Bear likes, like, used to like sending that one to us. It's very funny. It, it applies to the Mets all the time. It applies when they lose all the time. I've gotten a lot of enjoyment from that, that Eagles fan. When the Giants lose, which they've been doing a lot lately, I get a lot of enjoyment when the Eagles blow a game and somehow still make the playoffs. Oh, the the um, it has been merely how the Eagles have made the playoffs over the years. But I'm I'm starting I'm I I'm not thrilled about their draft, but they have to start getting younger. I mean, they were an old team. Uh, many of the Eagles fans were upset when they let uh, Jenkins go, but Jenkins was due like eight million dollars and wanted more, and he's in his thirties. So that was, I think that was a smart decision. Uh, I know Jason Peters was let go of left hack where they're talking about bringing him back. But, you know, at some point you have to start turning the roster over to some younger younger guys. And mm-hmm. I think the Eagles reached a lot in the draft. Um, they wanted to get faster. and They definitely did that. But we'll see if that all pans out. I think the Eagles coaching staff will always find a way to at least keep the Eagles competitive. Yeah, yeah I, I do. When Doug Peterson, I think, is kind of like a calming influence. I don't think he um, – I think behind the scenes, he's tough when he has to be. I think he handles things really well. Um, you never see him throwing players under the bus in public, so I think the players respect him and listen to him. Uh, I think leadership – it's just like with, with baseball. We, we've talked, you know, you need good leadership in the locker room. Uh, that, that is a huge, huge thing. You know, team camaraderie. Um, to me is, is just as impo- almost just as important as that's how that's in all sports. You know, with say we, we had many conversations about that with baseball. Um, you can have the most talented team, but if there's bad attitudes and there's egos and they're not together as a team, it kind of falls apart. Um, but you can have a team that maybe is not quite as talented, but really close knit um, works hard together, high character people. And, and that seems to pay off. And I think when the Eagles, you know, I'm going to say people laughed and the Eagles fan, but when they won the Super Bowl, they were not the most talented team. I don't care what anybody says. You look at that roster. That was not a talented team. They were banged up. They were hurt. They were missing guys. But they just had a strong, strong leadership core, I think, with, with Jenkins and some like Jason Peters and their lineman Kelsey and 
you know, backup Nick Foles, you know, he's the players rose up to his game because he was a strong leader. Um, and that's the same with baseball over the years, you know, with, with, with Parkland all the years. Um, we always seem to have a senior class that, you know, they came through the program, they learned, you know, the right way to do things. And when they became seniors, they would just pass it on to the younger kids. Uh, I know Coach Weber, you know, he taught me a lot at the time about different philosophies and things with programs and, and stuff. And I think one of the, the biggest thing, I'll get off of football for a second, because you know, we can do all sports here. Um, the one team that I always look back at at Parkland um, was the, the 2017. I think that 2007 senior class really kind of laid the groundwork for how Parkland baseball is today. Um, it was a senior class that when they were their sophomores and juniors, they were on a team where the leadership wasn't so strong and they saw what happened when the leadership wasn't strong. And when they became the leaders, they took the young kids under their wings and showed them the right way to do things. So it just became a constant cycle where, you know, the young kids would learn and they would become the, the leaders and then they would teach the younger ones. And that's just kind of how things have gone um, over the years. I think that goes in all sports. You need that good locker room. And I, I can speak from experience and also from a fan of not having a good locker room will kill you. Oh, it, it can rip it apart. Um, and, you know, every lock, not everybody's going to be happy. Um, oh, yeah. That, that's a given, but it's how you handle it. And you could have one, you have, to re, you have to really be careful. If you have one real bad seed in that, hey, that bad seed is going to try to find the other weak-minded person. Now you're going to have two. And then that person's going to find the next one. Now you're going to have three. And, and I'll tell you, like, one of the best things, Coach Weber, he, you know, he was – when I was the head coach, I don't really consider myself the head coach only in that – it was just my job to put the lineup out, to do all the budgeting. When it came to planning for everything, though, we were all equal. We took mm -hmm. equal part, and we were honest. And he told me the one time I was really – I was getting kind of upset because some of the attitudes on the team were bad. And he flat out said, he goes, how do you expect kids to come to practice and work hard every day if you never reward them? Because um, I was always brought up in programs where you're the starter until you get hurt, and that was it. But at Parkland – the talent from one through 18, there's not much of a difference like on the roster. So to simply, you know, replace a kid every game or so to get them playing time shouldn't really affect the outcome. Um, I think he even said to me one time, he goes, if one, if we switch one player out and that affects the game, then we're not that good of a team anyway. So he taught that to me that, you know, Hey, if kids are working hard, you have to give them an opportunity. So that's kind of what we, we started to do. Um, and we took great pride in almost, almost every kid on that team at some point getting an opportunity to play and to feel like they um, made a difference um, in the season. Now, there's always that, that case where we, you know, if you look at a roster of 18 or 19 kids, you're going to have, you know, there's going to be a handful of kids up top that are untouchable. You know, these are your superstars. You know, yep. they, you had like Adam Smith the past couple of years. Nobody was taking him off the mound. He was your best on the mound. Um, those kids, you know, they're going to be on the field every day. But then between like maybe six and 15 or 16 on your roster, there's not much difference. So you got to find an opportunity for those kids to, 
to get in and, and play a little bit. And then those kids at the end of the roster, you know, if you're honest with them, most of those kids on the end of the roster are more developmental players. Um, we're keeping them around for, for this year. So hopefully they can learn and develop. And then next year as seniors, they can step up and play. But yeah, that's, that's coach Weber taught me a lot about that. And, um, and I think that really helped the program and it, it's kept the, the camaraderie in our locker room pretty strong. Definitely. And I could say this, I've learned from Coach Weber, and there's a lot of lessons that I'm going to be taking when I get my chance to coach next summer, my own team, where I'm going to have to juggle things like that. But listen, I think Coach Weber's misunderstood sometimes. That's because he's not talkative. He's just, he likes to lay back and see how things lay out. That's why I was happy when he came on the podcast and he got to explain himself a little bit. Because especially the players that listen to that, they texted me and they said, I didn't know Coach Weber actually. Now that I actually got to hear his side of the story, it was pretty good, and I understand now. Yeah, he was – he – players always say he's quiet. He's quiet, but he, he observes things um, so well. And he would just – and then, you know, he would relay the information to me or to Coach Bear. And, you know, he was spot on, you know, a lot of the things that, that he would see. And um, – because me growing up, all my coaches I, I ever had, they were the loud, um, <laughs> the motivating, the intimidating. I don't know if you know our superintendent, Mr. Snizak. Um, I met him once. Yeah. No, he's, he's, you look at he can be an intimidating guy. Um, he was my football and baseball coach in high school. So, um, yeah, you knew where he stood every second if you were messing up. Um, and then in college – you know, my coach, things weren't going well. You know, he would write it in front of everybody. So that's what I was used to when I came in. I thought that was really the only way to coach. And then when I met Coach Weber and, and learned, you know, his philosophies, um, I, did, I, I, learned, I learned a lot. And I, I think that helped. That helped me see things differently. And not only as a coach, but as a parent, because I, I had kids that went through and, and sometimes – as a coach, you, you forget, you know, from the kid's point of view or from the parent's point of view, they're, they're what they see. Um, as a coach, you're responsible for all 18, 19 kids in the whole program. As a parent there, the parents are looking at one person. And, you know, he helped me remember that. And I know it was tough for me when I gave up to watch my kids. There were times that I was just like shaking my head, like, like what's this coach doing? But every coach is different. Um, and I would go to him for advice and he gave me good advice and things. And I'm, I'm glad I let my kids then go out and handle their situation. And cause again, every coach is different. There's, it's not necessarily a right or wrong. It's just, it's their philosophy. But yeah, I definitely learned a lot from him on how to handle situations, you know, over the years. Mm -hmm. Like that was a lot different in the end than I was in the beginning. Uh, a lot calmer. I can see that. Yeah, well, it, it, the coach before, um, Coach Weber, Coach Stout, when uh, we were assistants under him, there was there was a rule that he had that, boy, when I took over, I really understood. He called it like the 24-hour rule. You know, after a game, don't talk to the kids right after a game. You know, wait 24 hours because if the game was bad, maybe it wasn't as bad as you thought it was and you're going to say things you're going to regret. Or maybe it was a good game and you're praising them, but maybe when you look back, maybe it wasn't as good as you thought. So it was always good to take stock 
in, mm-hmm. in your thoughts. And that's what we did every, every day. Um, after the game the next morning, first thing we do is send out an email and talk about the good, the bad, what we need to work on. Um, so, yeah, we didn't, we didn't let our emotions get out of hand here. You know, we, everything seemed to be kind of calculated on what we were going to do and what we were going to say. Mm-hmm. I think – I think that now travel ball and Coach Weber and I talked about this is really starting to affect. It's starting to affect Legion and it's going to start to affect varsity too. And we spoke about it. And this is one of the reasons why we had to bring analytics and analytics into the whole program. It's because players just get exposed to it and they're wondering why we're not changing with the times. So I think now Coach, that's another thing Coach Weber's really good. He's good at changing with the times. He he gets it. Yeah, he, he's he's very good um, with, with that. Better than better than than I would be. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's how all sports are going to now. It's in, instead of, you know, back just even a few years ago, when you played a sport in high school, you were representing your community, your school. Uh, it was more important about, you know, the name on the front, you know, playing for Parkland and winning. And not that it's, it's still not, I think, I definitely think the baseball program has done a great job in, in trying to promote team over individual but it's getting harder and harder with when you have travel team and you have showcases and you have certain people out out there that are putting things in kids' ears that maybe aren't necessarily true for their own benefit. Um, you know, when you're paying somebody, you know, $100 an hour or whatever it is for personal instruction, that personal instructor is going to tell you what you want to hear. So you can keep coming back and coming back and, and paying the money. Um, they don't necessarily have the kid's best interest at heart. And then they use the, the, the player's success at their own advantage and to, to promote their business. Um, but, yeah, they're using all more of these, these high-tech things. And, you know, so it has to go to the high school. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan of how it is, but that's how it is. And I wish it would change back. I don't know how it's going to change back. Cause it's like this in all sports. It's all promotion. Um, everybody wants that. It, it drives me nuts when I hear that it has to go D1. Um, I don't know. I think the media is part of the, the issue. I know we want to recognize kids for their accomplishments and, and going on. But some of the uh, things you know, that are out there are just not true. I, like Today I was watching a thing and they were showing signings. Well, they were showing some kids signings at schools that don't even have scholarships. So it's not a signing. It doesn't diminish that the kid's going. I think we do need to celebrate the fact that the kids are going on um, athletically and academically. Um, I I know here, I'll tell a quick story of something. um, Coach Weber will know this because he even brought this up. Back in 2015, we had a shortstop, um, uh, Chris Rabasco, who was a four-year starter. Um, Chris was a phenomenal player, extremely competitive player. Um, but his act, I had him in class, too. His academics were outstanding. He was one of the, the top students in the school. Um, he did have scholarship offers, I think Pitt, um, James Madison. But he wanted to go to an Ivy League school. So – he chose University of Pennsylvania, which does not offer athletic scholarships. Um, they just basically offer you a roster spot. But he also received 
and academic, he, asked, he got money through his academics, I think 30000 something like that, to go to an Ivy League school. That's a lot of money. Yeah, when it came time for a signing ceremony, Harkin wouldn't let him sign. They, they would not have a signing ceremony for him because he was not getting an athletic scholarship. Here's a kid you should want to promote who is doing the right thing, you know, passing up a chance to go to Pitt or a place to get a baseball scholarship to go to an Ivy League school to continue his education where he'll be set for the rest of his life. But, yeah, we won't honor that, but we'll honor somebody that's going somewhere and getting a $500 athletic scholarship. Mm -hmm. So it, it's all – I think parents want to see a return on their investment. So they're investing all this money on camps, showcases. They need something in return. What they want, well, they want the notoriety that – Look what happened. My son or daughter is going to play college, college sports. And I don't see it going away. It's not. It's unfortunate. See, I was lucky in a sense where I got into the school I wanted to get into, and then I got to, to be on the baseball team. And then in two years, I'm going to get to go up to main campus and already have a spot there. Yeah, it's, it's more important. I know I have talked to many kids. You, you have to find your fit. There, there's three things. If you're an athlete going to college, there's three things. You got the athletic part, you got the academic part, and then you have your social part. Um, it's very, you can't have all three. You can't, you can't be a great athlete. You probably can't have great academics and you can't have a great social life in college. Right? So, um, and athletics alone is not going to make up for the academics and this, the social there, there needs to be more than just, you just can't go to a place because of athletics, because you're not going to be happy. Um, I think athletics are glorified on TV. They see the ESPN and they, they see like the big time football programs and basketball programs. They think, Oh, that's the great life. Um, most programs aren't like that. You go to play college baseball. No, you're not like the toast of the campus. Um, you're going to be up early at workouts. You're going to be going to study hall hours. Um, you're traveling. Um, it's, I, don't, I don't think the kids have a true representation of what playing in college is really like. You know? So you have found that out. Once they get there, they were probably treated better at Parkland. In some cases, the facilities are better at Parkland than what they're going to have in college. Yep. I think that's why, at least my college coach, even though he could be hard to get into contact with sometimes, I'll say at least he was honest with me during the meeting and he told me to get to I, I don't think college, some college coaches are really honest, too, and that's something that needs to be. Oh, no. Um, most, most of the ones are, are really good guys. Um, yeah. But their job is to get interest in the program to get people on campus. Imagine, like – Think of some of these college coaches, some of their income is generated through having camps. Mm -hmm. They pocket that money. So they send out form letters to kids under their camps, and it makes the kids believe that, oh, they're getting recruited. Well, first, now the kids are paying money to go to camp, which is going into that coach's pocket. It's getting them on campus, spending money on campus, helping the university. Um, it's having kids then apply to that school and there's an application fee helps that school. So yeah, there's a lot that goes into it. Um, yeah, those form letters that go out can, can really uh, fool kids. Yeah. And I mean, I, I know a few kids, I'm not going to say the names that 
that thought they were going to be going to school to play a sport, and then it just didn't happen. And they were heartbroken, and it's just like I kind of feel bad for them because it's just they have their hearts set on playing baseball or football at, at one school, and then the coach is like, no, we already gave up all the money, but you can come in as a walk-on, but that's not even a guaranteed yeah. as well. And it's just like they're heartbroken. Yep, it's tough, and it's not their fault. Um, this is you know, it's, it's part of the game. Um, and I know Coach Weber does a good job of it. I used to try to, to talk to kids about the, the reality of things, um, but that's not what they want to hear. And it, it's hard to hear. Uh, you know, I think there's some like 30-some thousand high schools in this country. And now think about the amount of Division I schools. <laughs> there's a lot less Division I schools than our high schools. And although we do have good athletic programs up here, Let's face it, we can't compete with, like, Texas, California, Florida. Yeah, those, those southern schools, you know, we, we can't get a coach from, like, Florida State or Miami to come up to see one of our players. All they have to do is go in their backyard, and they can find kids. And it's tough for them to realize that. Um, and, again, you have all these kind of, I don't want to somewhat scams that go on there. I mean, there are so many baseball recruiting sites and things. And when you sit and actually look at them and what they list about these kids, it's impossible. It's, it's impossible. Like they'll have every kid listed that they're going division one or they're going to be drafted. If that was the case. You're going to have a million kids drafted every year, but they, yeah. have, they have to do that. To, they do that to keep the kids interested and to keep them coming back for more and then spending the money. And then when it doesn't work out, it's the high school coach's fault. We didn't prepare them enough. <laughs> and that's another thing with going to these places like LVBA and all these other places. They, the coach that you're paying $100 or more to is saying, well, you're going to go to Division One. You're going, And then when they don't, it's not that guy's fault. He's the guy yeah. you're going to, to work out and have extra practice with it. The high school coach's fault, which is ridiculous. Of course, because a high school coach, what do we know? You know, we're, we're teachers. We're not professional scouts or anything like that, so we don't know what we're talking about most of the time. But um, yeah, it's, it's a shame that it happens. I mean, I, look, look, at the, look at what Parkland does in their program. Look what Coach Weber does throughout the whole course of the year. You know, they have, they, they, they have a workout program for kids to do for free um, that'll rival any college workout program there is. And that program was brought about because some kids couldn't afford to go get personal training. Um, and it was also because there's a, there's a benefit. I, I know coach Weber has shares the same philosophy. We like multi-sport athletes. We would never ever tell a kid to give up football, basketball, soccer to come to our baseball workouts. Never happened. Football coaches say that. Uh, the baseball players, I've, I've seen that before. Yeah, we, we like the multi-sport athlete. There's, there's a lot of skills that can transfer. You know, you play football, you got to be a pretty tough kid. Well, that's going to transfer on baseball. Basketball, same thing. The conditioning, you know, foot quickness, it, it's all going to translate. But if you're not involved in other sports, we want you to still be doing something. So we have this, you know, they have this lifting program. And it, it, there's something to be said for working hard together as a team. You know, yep. I, I, think, I think the parents missed the, the point of this a lot. 
they look at the workout, oh, well, he's working out. 50 kids are not getting enough individual attention. It's not about the individual attention. It's about the working hard as a team pushing each other. Mm -hmm. um, that's the true benefit of it. I, I know that with, with Chad's workout, um, it's a tough workout. Oh, it is. They only have about 30 of them um, during the course. Of 30 workouts isn't in, probably enough. And, and Chad will tell you that. That's why he wanted them to do more on their own then. But that's 30 times to get together to work hard as a team that other teams in the area don't do. You know, they're out there when they're showcasing and stuff. So, yeah, I, I – so he has that. And then he runs an intramural program in the winter for the pitchers. My favorite time of the year. Yeah, to get the pitchers in and to start getting some hitting. Then you have the season. You know, he's doing this. And then he goes out all summer and watches the Legion. He does it for 12 months out of the year. And then somebody comes in and says, you know, you got to pay $100 to go have individual instruction with this guy and hit off a tee for an hour. I just don't like that's another guy. I know and I coach when kids would come in during intramurals that you can tell the kids that went to personal instructors and, and things like that. Um, their individual work on tees and like soft paws and drills, they were pretty good. Um, unfortunately, when game time would come, the ball doesn't sit on a tee at home plate for them. <laughs> you know, somebody doesn't lob a ball in the hit um, so they can look good. Um, there's something to be said about mental toughness and, and heart. And we had a lot of players over the years that maybe didn't look pretty doing things, but they were some tough kids and, and would come up big at big times. Definitely. I mean, I think we've won the most championships in the past decade or the past two decades. Yeah. I don't know who else, who else would even, yeah, there's, there's no doubt. I don't know how many, but yeah, we've, Every year, and it, I don't think people outside realize how tough it is. Nobody likes Parkland. Everybody wants to knock Parkland off. Um, but that's that's the fun part of it. At least for me, I, I loved you know when we played Liberty. Yeah, that that was awesome playing Liberty. It's, you know how they do like the, the softball chant and the, and the chirping and the ch and all this and that, and they're loud. All they're doing is trying to psych you out. Mm -hmm. yeah. The best thing to do is just put some runs on the board and and that'll shut them up pretty quick. And I loved after the game, you know, we would just, you know, we didn't gloat about it. We didn't, we didn't run our mouths to them. Just go through the line, shake their hands, and, you know, we'll take our medals. And while they're over there, now quiet. It's, uh, that's, I enjoyed that part of it. You know, I enjoyed when Emmaus, they, they had an older coach that would, that was a little, he could be a little loud at times and excitable and it was the best in the world just to we took more of a professional approach I thought and, you know just go about our business and, and beat them shake their hands and and move on but yeah that was that was one of the things I really loved yeah definitely it starts with the coaching at, at the top whoever the assistants are and the head coaches and then it starts the workouts are next and then it's the players Oh, definitely. And, and again, you need the right mix. You need that camaraderie in, in, the, in the locker room, in the dugout. Um, it's so, so beneficial if you have good leaders because they can handle, they can handle the problems. Um, if, if somebody is, is starting to, to stray away a little bit, they're, they're the first line that they can stop it. Um, yeah, but that's, those are some of the things that I mentioned earlier that Coach Weber really, really taught me. 
on, on how to handle some of the some of the situations with the kids and the playing time. And he was he was right. You know, regular season, you, know, you want to win. You, you always want to win. It's it's competitive, but you know it's more important. To, so what if we don't go twenty zero in the regular season? Twenty zero doesn't guarantee you anything, as we found out the one year. Um, so what if you maybe drop a game or two, but you find things out about the players who can play, who's ready for the playoffs, um, getting them all ready. But also it, it, it builds that it builds that locker room. Everybody took part in it. And who cares if you go into the playoffs 20-0 or you go in 15-5? and yeah. You're still going to go in and you're going to play seven innings against whoever. You know, that's one thing we never – I don't think we really worry too much about seeding. I think the years when you look at seeding, you're like, oh, I'd rather play this team. That's when you, that's when you kind of get, get bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you just go in, forget the, I think the, the one year, it might have been for, for league playoffs. Like our, our road to get there was, was brutal. We had to play, I think, three straight nights. And I, I forget who the opening round game was, but the second round game, um, I want to say – I don't know who it was, but we were throwing our best, and we ended up having to play Stroudsburg for the championship. And Stroudsburg was, you know, they had their their number one draft pick. They saved him for the championship, and we didn't save anybody. We were trying to win one game at a time. We weren't looking ahead. And on paper, it was like, there's no way Parkland's going to beat Stroudsburg. They have the number one draft pick going, and Parkland used their number one and their number two. Well, our number three believed in himself enough and stepped up, and we won. So that's just kind of like the mentality we had. You know, don't worry about the matchups. You know, just do what you – just go with what you do. Don't skip pictures to go to this, you know. Go with what's got you there. Yeah, and I, I just – it's I think travel ball is really starting to kill that a little bit. And it's not the coach's fault. It's any coach's fault. Even the coach is getting paid. It's, it's just people would rather get light up the radar gun, as Coach Weber said. Than well, that's true. Stand up. Yeah, they, they don't they don't learn the game. Um, yeah, all they care about is is getting noticed. They're pitchers. I got to throw hard. If I don't throw hard, I'm not going anywhere. They're hitters. They want to hit for power. You know, the college game isn't even built on power anymore. Uh, so, you know, all of that stuff is all fine and dandy, but it, it doesn't translate. Then, um, I forget one of the college coaches told me that their job is getting more difficult. Um, every year they're having to teach the fundamentals more and more, even just how to like grip a baseball uh, and things like that when kids get there because they're not being taught it anymore. They're just and not. I think it also leads to injury too. If you're pitching all year round, yeah, even I, major league pitchers take a month off. Yeah, it, it boggles my mind that people haven't taken notice of this and started making changes. I know everything evolves. But yeah, when you look at major league pitchers now, they're all on these inning counts. Well, look back years ago, there were no any, there were no pitch counts. And you just went out and threw. Closers didn't just pitch the last thing. They pitched like the last two or three years ago. Um, and they didn't have arm injuries. So you have to think, like, why, why, didn't, why years ago didn't they have arm injuries? But today, these athletes, they're being trained more. They're in better physical shape, why is their arm breaking down? And it's simple. It's a real simple reason. Kids are throwing more when they're young. They're throwing almost year-round. Their arm is getting no rest. And then parents and trainers then are, are working these kids out to say, well, we are doing our workouts. We are getting their strength up. 
but you're training 15, 16 year old arms like they're 26, 27, 28 years old. You know, your workout programs are different when you're 15 and 16, when you're 25, 26, 27, you're, you're not fully grown yet. So I, it, it, it does, it, it shocks me. I know you met Gabe Moser, right? Mm-hmm. You know, Gabe, one of the best pitchers I've, I've ever seen in high school. Um, and, and he's, he's somebody that, you know, he went through the Legion system. He wasn't a showcase person or, or anything like that. And, and look where he is now. And all that, it doesn't matter. And there's, there's a certain amount of ability you're born with. Um, you know, if, if you throw 75 miles an hour in high school, you can train all you want. You're not going to throw 95 miles an hour. You, know, you just don't have the arm speed for it. If, like, like me, like I, with running, you know, I couldn't run a 6.560. All right. No matter how much I trained, there was always so fast, these, these legs were going to go. You know, I did work hard. You can get quicker. You can get better. But, you know, I could have paid all the money in the world to anybody to train me. Still not going to be a track star. Yeah. I'm not going to be a track star either. I'll, I'll tell you that. <laughs> and I, I, I use, when I talk to players, like look at a guy like Bartolo Colon. He can still pitch and he's like 48. And that's because he just throws. He doesn't throw. He says, I take a break after October and I start again in February. Mm-hmm. And he says, I don't get hurt. I only got hurt once in my career and that was by accident. Yeah, you, you have to. Throwing a baseball is unnatural. See, softball, they can throw every day because it's underhand. That's natural. Overhand's not. Every time you throw a baseball, you're breaking your shoulder down. You're breaking your back down when you do that. It needs time to repair. And it's just like when people exercise. When you exercise, you break your muscle down. Well, people get bigger and stronger when that muscle heals, when it repairs. If you don't let your arm as a pitcher or anybody repair itself, you're not going to get stronger. So you need, I, in my opinion, like a minimum of three months to in the offseason. I think, I wish they would stretch it longer. Yeah, I, I wish, you know, I know there's fall ball, and I'm not against fall ball. Um, it keeps you doing stuff with baseball, but I think you have to really limit your throwing when it comes to the fall. But if you stop throwing in, in October, then you have October, November, December, January. You have basically four months then of just rest. And that's what our coach, that's what Parkland's coaching staff does. I don't know about other coaching staffs in the Lehigh Valley. We don't start throwing really till February, really hard. Yeah, and that still gives you guys, if you have February and your tryouts aren't until March and games don't start until near the end of March, that still gives you almost two months to get your arms built back up. Mm-hmm. So it's funny, you don't need to throw year-round. I mean, I think back to some of our best pitchers that we had when it would come time to come in to start throwing and Coach Bear would tell them to throw like 50%, 60%. They'd actually do that. They would just come in and just do the, the light throwing. You know, and then you get those kids that come in and are trying to throw 100 miles an hour right away to try to impress you. They get hurt. By the time tryouts start, their arms shot. They're done. And it all leads back, in my opinion, to the trainers. And I mean – I'm not against people going to their own trainers. I just think that they take the wrong advice and then they blame the wrong person when they get hurt or they don't get their scholarship. Yeah. Um, again, like if you want your own personal trainer, that that's fine. Um, 
but at, at our age, when kids are in high school, you know, working out with the team is, is plenty. I love that every successful program I ever either played on or whatever, none of the players ever had a personal trainer. Mm -hmm. In college, we got up at five in the morning as a team and we went up and worked out. And that was the benefit. Getting your butt out of bed at 5 a.m. is not easy in college. It showed it gave you a little mental toughness. Um, we were accountable to one another. If somebody didn't show up, we would drag you out. You're coming along. And that's why we were successful. I didn't, we didn't have a, we had one assistant coach that would come up, open the gym for us, and, and we'd be in there for an hour or two. And hey, those weights got us just as strong as the personal trainer's weights. They weigh the same. So, yeah, but I don't know. I guess I, people have this thought that if you spend money, you're going to get more out of it. 98% of the time you're wasting, at least this is my opinion, and I've looked at the statistics, 98% of the time you don't make it to the major leagues and it doesn't really pan out. Uh, and what percentage of kids that play high school baseball make the major leagues? I, it's probably, it's, it's more than, it, I think, what is it? Less, it's less than 1%, easily. Mm -hmm. um, and not, again, not that, and, and I always have to guard against this when I, when I would talk to the kids. I'm not telling you not to work hard. I'm not telling you you can't make it. Um, you should work hard to make it, to try to get there. Um, and if you don't, it doesn't mean you failed or it doesn't mean all your hard work doesn't pay off. It's going to help you in other areas of your life. You know, if, if I wouldn't have worked hard in baseball and, and done all that, then I probably wouldn't have had the work ethic to go out and get myself the job that I wanted and the coaching job that I wanted if I didn't do all that stuff. Um, so it does pay off. It just might not pay off the way that you hoped at first, but it, it will help you. Um, think of this area. How many people in this area have made the major leagues? I can think of Matt McBride, who graduated from Liberty in 2003. None of, none of Parkland's guys have made it to the major leagues. I know a few guys have made it to the NFL. Yeah. One guy um, got drafted by the Giants. That's my now. Yep. Um, yeah, that was the running back. And then there was a tight end, Tim Massacoy. That, that made it to the NFL. Um, there was a Greg DeLong back in the 80s. But that's an all sport. Like, even like basketball. Like, kids in Parkland, with, with well, not just Parkland, all around our area with basketball, spent all this money doing the AAU, this and that. You know how difficult it is to make the NBA in basketball? Probably um, much harder than the NLB. Yeah. Uh, I think we've had one player. Um, well, actually, the one from Liberty. We might have had two since I can think of the last 25, 30 years. But like I said, with baseball, we've had a, a lot of great players go through this area. But I think Matt McBride's the last one I can think of. He was a catcher at Liberty. Um, and he, he was up with the major leagues for a little bit. And then before that, it was uh, Coach Spade's good friend, uh, Brian Schneider. He's with the Mets now. Like, very nice guy. Yep, he was, you know, he played at Northampton, was a fifth-round draft pick with the Expos. Um, so what's that, back in the 1990s. So in that amount of time from the early 1990s to now, like in a 30-year span, we've had two. And the only ones that are, that are really close are Gabe Moser and Hick, Connor Higgins. But even yeah. they're in double-A, right? One's in double-A. Yeah. And, and the other one's still in single-A. And the one thing, like – they were both unique in that, like Connor. Physically, when you look at him, you don't find too many six foot four, six foot five lefty pitchers that size. 
But mm-hmm. people don't, like Connor, his personality was awesome. He was all he was a he was a great teammate and um, kept things loose. But let me tell you, when it came time to pitch, Connor had the mentality. He could not be intimidated. That was the thing I loved most about him. It didn't matter. And there was no excuses ever made by Connor. If if we didn't have pitching rules, um, he would go out on one day's rest. He wouldn't care. Um, but and, and there's, you know, I know Connor's last year with us, he pitched in the second round of states against um, Council Rock, I believe it was. Council Rock was loaded. They were, they were, that might have been the best team I, we saw in a long time. And oh, gave up one run, he gets the win. Um, and then we go to the semifinals, and he could have pitched in the semifinals. It was three days rest, but, you know, we stuck with our philosophy that we're going to go, you know, we're not going to jump some, a starter. Um, and plus, back then you could throw over 100 pitches. It went by innings. So he was eligible, but he had thrown, I think, over 110 pitches. And we didn't want to hurt the kid's arm and start him again. But he would have gone out there and started that game. And uh, sure, he maybe wouldn't have had his best stuff, but it wouldn't have mattered. He was, he was so tough. And Gabe, um, and Gabe was a, more of a late bloomer. Gabe was a short, little, skinny kid as a freshman, but you saw something in him. And you knew with his family he was going to grow. And next thing you know, the kid's 6'2", 6'3". And I, I can still remember with his recruiting, it was almost non-existent because of his size. Uh, I was actually at the grocery store talking to a junior college and they weren't even thrilled. They're like, well, he's only this tall and he's skinny and he's only throwing at the time in the low 80s. And I told the guy, I'm like, listen, he pitched against North Penn in the States. And North Penn coach said that's the best pitcher he's faced all year. I said, he might not throw 90, but he's a pitcher. And just wait till he starts filling out. He's going to get bigger. You guys are going to miss out on one of the best pitchers in this area. And that was Chippensburg's game. You know, he goes on to Shippensburg, and um, yeah, he was he was a combination of everything. He could he could throw in the mid to upper 80s. You know, he had a great curveball. He had this knuckle ball that was when that thing worked, it was ridiculous. Um, but he could hold runners on. Uh, he could do everything. He was he was a pitcher. But again. Yeah, and I- He's, look at him and look at Connor. They're both 6'3", 6'4", 6'5". They both have good arm speed. They were they have some just natural ability. And yet, they worked hard. That's not taking away. They definitely did. And they both had great attitudes. You know, but unfortunately, some people like myself weren't born 6'3", 6'4", 6'5". We were born average. And, you know, still, I don't regret anything. I loved playing. I loved the experiences I had. And didn't you play for a team that almost won the world, the college world series? Yeah, and that's the point with, like, with with the kids today. You know, I went to a Division One school where there were a lot of prima donnas. Um, you may have heard of some of the players that were there. You ever hear of Mo Vaughn? Yeah, Mo Vaughn went to Seton Hall. Um, Craig Vigio, who's in the Hall of Fame, um, went there. Um, but they never won anything because it was all a bunch of individuals. It was me, 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 me. So I transferred to a smaller school. And when I got there, we had a catcher that played at Florida State. We had a right fielder that played at Clemson. 
We had a shortstop that played down in Louisiana. Our one outfielder was on the Canadian national team. We had pitchers that were came from junior colleges. We were all people that I think at first wanted to play Division One and thought that was so important. Then we got there, we're like that's not important anymore. What's important is playing baseball and having fun with it. And we didn't care about our individual stuff. So when we all came together um, with those attitudes, that's why we were successful. It all goes back to attitude. And that's what I, I think a lot of my people have always asked me, how do you, what have you taken most from the, co- the coaches you've been around? And I just think it's attitude. That's. It, 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 is, it is the most important. It, it, I know talent is so important, but coaching a team, if, if I had my pick, give me a real talented team, but the kids are uncoachable and their attitudes are bad or give me a team with, you know, maybe not as much talent, but they're great kids. They're really coachable. I'll take that team any day. And I was lucky at part of it. We had those teams almost year in and year out. Um, and we did that and we're lucky enough to have talent with it, but we won, we won with some teams that weren't maybe as talented. Um, but just because those kids are just so such darn good kids that worked hard um, and, in, and enjoyed being around one another and it's, it's great to see them. You know, I still see them once in a while. And, and they always bring up how that was the most fun they had when they look back on it. And it's the most important thing. Yeah, and I'll, and I'll say this. Even with the Chad workout, Chad still makes it an effort to connect with each kid there. And, I, and sometimes I, I hear this from some parents say that, well, Chad doesn't connect with my kid. It's like, well, you're not there. I see it. He connects with everybody. Yeah, Chad – you know, you have to know Chad to understand his personality. Oh, I love Chad. He's funny. You know, he, you know, he jokes around. You might not think he's joking, but he is. Um, he will. He will go out of his way and help any one of those kids that wants it. Uh, I've, I've never seen him at any time with a kid wants extra help or, or, hey, what about this exercise? What do I do? Chad will be the first one there to, to help him with it. And, yeah, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get why – why I get, I know why the parents don't necessarily buy into it, but um, it, it's, a, it's a great program to do. And Chad is not trying to get rich off this thing, you know. Obviously, I mean, when he gets paid for that, it's not it's, really ridic- it's ridiculously low. You know, but again, he's not. He told me he's not in for it to to get rich. You know, he's in for it because he enjoys being part of it. He's a, I just, sometimes I hear some parents say some stuff and I'm like, you're, you're not there. And their kid's not there either. Sometimes. Exactly. That's saying If those kids go in and, and put in the effort, um, again, I'm not saying it's, it's just because of Chad, but look over the years since Chad's been there, how many kids have we lost for the season with an arm injury or anything? I can't, no. I can't, any. So it has to have some kind of benefit, and, and not just the physical. It's the mental benefit. You, if you can get through some of his workouts, um, some of his workouts are, you know, when he the started. The holidays are, are brutal. Oh, yeah, the before the Thanksgiving Day one, those were brutal. But even his warm-ups, he has him in the gym for half of the warm-ups would have me, like, laying on the ground dying, you know, and then going to the, to the weight room and then doing the stretching. You know, he hits everything. Think about the hours he puts in. You know, those workouts are two hours, but so he gets there, 
Yeah. So he get drives there, brings his equipment that he brings, and then cleans up afterwards. It's basically a three, three-and-a-half-hour commitment every time for him. So he's spending with the Parkland – spending over 100 hours of time during the course of the season with these kids. So, yeah, and he's not getting $100 an hour <laughs> like one of the personal trainers get. Before the holiday one, he'll stay even later. It could go even later. Oh, he will stay as long as it does. Like I, I know what the hours we pay him for. He goes beyond that. Yeah, there's there's no doubt. But yeah, the kids should the benefits that the kids and the, the parents should take advantage of it. And mm-hmm. if they want a personal trainer, you know, come to Chad's. Where we've had kids over the years go to Chad's workout, and then if they want another workout or two, yeah, they have their personal trainers. That's fine. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it's important to spend time with your with your teammates. Yeah, I I I couldn't say anything better myself. I agree with you one hundred percent, and I think everyone, at least the coaching staff at Parkland Baseball, agrees with what you said. Oh, they they're yeah, and the, and the time you know, Coach Weber puts in. You know, he's still he's still there. Coach Spade and all that. Yeah, they're putting in a lot of time for this because they care. Yep. They care about the kids. They care about the program. And I don't know, maybe now as an outsider, maybe it upsets me more now, you know, that, that parents don't see it that way. Um, but, yeah, they're there for the kids and for the program. Uh, yeah, that, hey. that's frustrating. Yeah, but, I, I, I've been lucky. Where I, I've seen it, but I can't. I, I, I still don't want to say anything, but I, but what the parents have said, and I said, only if I could say that isn't true, because I've, I've stayed late with them a lot. Yeah. So I, Everybody has different philosophies. Parents can see things different, and some of the things the parents see might be, you know, they might have good ideas, but until they step foot in a program and, and be like the head person for a program, um, the responsibilities to the whole team, it is, it is such a different point of view. It is what, what they think might work um, when they try to incorporate into a team when you have a workout of 50 kids, it's not going to work. Um, you know, even if you take out of the, the scenario of the workouts helping bring kids together as a team, um, you know, we routinely could have 80, 90 to 100 kids try out for baseball. Well, would we expect 80, 90, 100 kids to go out and spend all the money on personal training? I mean, that's crazy to, to expect them to do that. Uh, and some, some families just don't have the resources to do that. I think people forget that too. You know, there, there are some people within part of that don't have the, the money that others do um, to have those advantages. So we provide this for the kids so they don't have to go out and do that. Yeah, you know, we're trying to do what's best for the kids. And I think that that upsets me then when when some parents now I don't think it really upset me much. I really didn't pay regard to that too much. But now I kind of, when I think about it, it's like you know we're helping you out. We're helping kids out that can't afford it, don't have some of the advantages that others do um, to do this program. And then you sit here and you try to knock it down. It just I, I, I think it's a shocker to you then when those same kids and parents, when they do go off, if they are fortunate enough to go to college and try to play, they realize, holy cow, you know, what they had at Parkland was pretty special. 
um, and what they provide. Because let me tell you, the college coach is not going to let you go get your own personal trainer when you get there. But my friend Trent, who's, who I did a podcast with, it's going to get released later, said when I went to college, I, he went to all the chat workouts and some of the players didn't have that luxury and they had their own personal trainers. He says, you, you're firing your personal trainers right away. And that was a shock to some of the kids. Yeah. It's, it, see, those college coaches, and again, this is not everybody, but when, yeah, they're not everybody. They, when they're recruiting, they're telling you what you want to hear, whether at the time they're interested or not. Um, a couple of years ago, I talked to a former student at Parkland who now um, is involved in athletics at a, at a bigger college. And he said, he goes, you know, we'll tell the kids what they want to hear early on, you know, when they're sophomores and juniors, because even though at the time we don't think they're going to play for us, maybe something, maybe they'll grow, maybe they'll get bigger, stronger, faster. You know, then we have that line of communication, you know, so we kind of have them, they kind of set them up mm -hmm. um, and make it sound all, this is great. You know, once they get there, once you sign on that dotted line or you get on campus, you're theirs. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's no more. They don't have to sit there and, and coddle you anymore. Um, you're going to do what they want you to do. And if you don't do it, there's another class of kids coming in next year that will be happy to take your spot. And there are people on campus that will be happy to take your spot. Yeah. Um, there's there's kids that, you know, that transfer in. And say, just like you, yeah. Just like when, when I was in college. That went, the team that went to the national championship, we had one, two, three, four, five. I think five of our main players came from other programs. We walked in and, and, and you know, there were spots for us. Um, so, yeah, once they get on campus, it's not what they think it's going to be for the most part. It's going to be hard work. It's going to be this, this coach does not want you with a personal trainer. You're doing their program, and that's the way it is. I coach, I coach Spade when I was in college. He had, coach Spade has an older brother um, that's more my age, and he came up to to play. We played the same position, um, and our workout program it was ninety minutes, four days a week in the morning. Got up at five. For every minute you missed, you owed a lap around the track. Oh no! And the track was. Um, it sat at the bottom of the hill, so when you were in the athletic facility, you look out the windows, you could see the track. Coach Spade's older brother was not a big, big into lifting. He was his game. He was one of the fastest kids that you'd ever see. Holy cow! Falls on the ground, it's a hit. Didn't matter. Um, but he did not buy into the workouts, so he tested that theory. Um, didn't show up at all for the 90-minute workout. Oh, he had 90 laps. Nice. That is, if my math is correct, 22 and a half miles of penalty. And he did it. Um, there was no getting around it. And there was no mom or dad that could come up and protect you, that could call the athletic director or call the principal. <laughs> you don't like it? Get lost. And that was that. And, I, and that's what I like about my college coach. He, he's honest. I'll say that. He's a great guy. And he's, and he's honest with all the players. He tells you how it is. And if you don't like it, he says, just go. go. Because he said, once you get up to main campus, you think I'm rude. Yeah. They're Division One. Yep. Yeah, they're going to be tougher. College coaches, I don't want to say, they're not all dishonest, but they're like kind of dishonest during the recruiting period. But then when you get up there, then you see the real side. 
you see what you're going to get. Uh, you know, when you get up to campus and you're told you're like the number one recruit, and then you look out and you're like, wait a minute, why is there four other guys at my position? I thought I was number one. No, see, all four of those were told they're number one too. That's how it is. And I, and I think you know a lot of the kids at Parkland over the years that have gone on have, have realized that. Was it, you know, I can't tell you how many times I heard kids say, well, I'm just going to go Division two, or I'm just going to go Division three. Oh, just? Um, those kids were all all-stars in high school too that are going there. It's very hard. Yeah. In college or, or do anything in college, and I know it from experience because I, I know it, and I think you know it too. It's very hard. To even sit down with the coach before to get to even meet them. Yeah. You run on their time, not your time. Definitely. And, uh, you know, I think back, I won't say it's, it's not a bad story, but we had a pitcher that was there with Connor who he had physically had Division One schools drooling over him. I mean, by rules, like they could not contact him. So they would write letters and send them to me for me to print and give them. Um, this kid had all the physical tools you could like dream of. Um, he ended up signing with the Division two school. That was a very good school, but this school had two pitchers that were going to be drafted that were very high. He went there, and I, I think at first he was in shock. Like, oh my God, I thought by signing Division two, I was taking a step down. Um, he ended up leaving and going to a Division three school and had a great Division three career. There's nothing wrong with that. And I think that's what kids have to realize. If, you, if you're going to, to college to play this because you love baseball, it doesn't matter what level you go to. Me personally, I'd rather go to a smaller school, play, have a chance to play in the playoffs, than maybe go to a Division I school. Like, again, no knock on the schools. But let's say you're, you're happy just to go to, like, Lafayette. Well, that's great. You're going to Division I, but your season's going to end at the end of the regular season. There, there's no hope of going to the College World Series or the regional playoffs. And that's the fun time to travel and do that stuff. So, I don't know. And I, don't think, I don't think Division One, especially in baseball, is, is all it's cracked up to be. Yeah, there's great players in Division Two and Division Three. Yep. And most college schools, not all of them, but most of them are more focused on football. Yeah. And, and that, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying Division One schools would rather have ESPN cover their football team than their baseball team, and that's because that's what the population likes. Yep, football is, is the big moneymaker. Basketball is the big moneymaker. And that's it. when you get up on campus, you know, if you go up to Penn State playing baseball, you walk across campus, I don't think anybody's going to be cheering for you. But if you're on the football team, you know, and you're like Saquon Barkley or whatever, you know, they're going to know who you are then. But not too many okay. people know who plays second base at Penn State or who the third baseman is. You know, that's why you got to love it. You, you know, that's you're not going to play college baseball to be famous. Yep. You play because because you love the sport and you like the competition, and that's the best thing I ever did was transfer. I went from a program that would win, but there was really no hopes of much with playoffs to a smaller school where. You know, I got to travel all over, you know, I got to play all over the country because we got to play in the playoffs. I, I think it's like, here's a good example. Bryce Harper, when he got drafted in the MLB, nobody knew who he was unless you were a diehard baseball fan. You knew who Bryce Harper was. But if you would go to ESPN and they'd be like, 
the football answer would be like, who's Bryce Harper? But everybody knows who's the top quarterback is. Even if you're like me that just watches football because there's not baseball on, you know who the top quarterback is. Oh, yeah, the draft. Joe Burrows this year. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, that's, that's all sports. You know, you, you can go, you have your, your soccer, your volleyball, lacrosse, all that stuff. You know, it's great to go on and play. Just understand it's not like it, you can see it on, perceive it on TV with football and basketball. Those are completely different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that people like basketball and football over baseball. Baseball, I think, is ahead of hockey, not by much. I think baseball is the third sport in America, to be honest. With, with how the world is today with, with like social media and, and, um, and things like that, you know, kids want things to be quick, and baseball isn't a quick game. Yep. You know, baseball is – people that don't understand baseball don't understand all the little things that, that go on during the course of a game. They don't understand, you know, how some certain shifts may be or the situation with, all right, like, here's a good time to bunt, um, things like that. Like, there's just, like, little little things that are, that are great with baseball. But if you don't understand the game, you miss it. All you see is the pitch being thrown and the, and the guy swinging. You don't understand all that went into it. Yep. And that's why I think the younger kids like that are diehard baseball fans are really diehard. They know everything that's going on in the sport. And I think football, you don't have to be a diehard fan to enjoy it. And no. that's nothing against them. I'm just That's just from what I've seen. Everybody I know likes football or likes a certain team but doesn't know anything about the team. Yeah. Football is easier to watch because it's real quick. Mm-hmm. Boom, and there's there's contact. Um, Same about basketball. There's something constantly going on, and maybe you don't have to know quite as you don't have to know all the little the little intricacies to to watch football and to watch basketball and to enjoy it. But baseball, you know, there are there are like little things. Oh, yep, definitely. It's baseball is a. I think is mentally harder than football. Physically, it's not, but I think mentally, if you're going to play 162 game schedule over 17 to 20 something games, it's just to me there's no contest. You have to be mentally tougher to play baseball than football. Yeah, people say, oh, you know, baseball. Mm-hmm. I, if I was with my wife, we were driving in a car, we were listening to a sports radio, and they said about how baseball players aren't athletes, and I'm like, wait a minute. If you weren't an athlete, then anybody could just do it. First mm-hmm. off, you know, there's there's a speed aspect to the game. Um, you know, yeah, they look at some of the pitchers like Bartolo Colon doesn't look like an athlete, but okay, in in basketball, you know, shooting free throws or shooting, you know, free throws most people make at least seventy percent. Um, basketball, your shooting percentage forty fifty percent. Football, you know, completion percentage for quarterbacks are usually over sixty percent. In baseball, if you're batting 300, that means you only got to hit three out of ten times, 30%. You are, you are a Hall of Famer if you're successful three out of ten times. Yeah, you know mm-hmm. difficult that, that is? People that watch it on TV don't realize when you stand behind and see those pitchers, like when, when, a, when a guy makes a, t- takes a terrible swing at a breaking ball, like they don't understand. 
you know, the pitch before, they saw a 98-mile-an-hour fastball. So when you're gearing up, they hit 98, and then you all of a sudden you get a, a, a breaking ball. You can look silly. It's tough, and they're not straight either. Those balls are moving. Even the fastball, some fat, like Jacob DeGrom's fastball, it moves. I, I saw it. Oh, it's ridiculous. Um, if, if you with, – with the major leagues and how good they are, if you throw a straight fastball, it doesn't matter how hard you throw, you're going to get hit. It's the guys that can throw with movement and location. Um, I remember, like, we brought up Connor Higgins. You know, his main pitch was a fastball, and, and we joke a lot. When he pitches a sophomore in a district championship game, I forget, he might have thrown 40 or 50-some straight fastballs. And we were laughing, like, why are they even looking for a sign anymore? It's all he's thrown. And he wasn't throwing overly hard. He was throwing, I think, like 84, 85, which is still good, but not completely overpowering. His ball just moved. Mm-hmm. Move the same way every time. So you, as a batter, you couldn't sit there and dig in, you know, especially when you have a see a six foot four lefty throwing at you. It's a little intimidating. Mm-hmm. His ball had such great natural movement. You could, I mean, it didn't even just necessarily tail. Sometimes, sometimes it cut. Um, yeah, it, it's not what it looks like on TV. It is not. And it, Bartolo Colon, as another example, he throws eighty five in the major leagues, and it's because he's older. But that thing, when it, I saw it pitch live in a really good perspective uh, in the cheap seats, like, it moves when they show it yeah. on the replay. It, it moves. It's, Remember Jamie Moyer? Yep. Didn't he pitch to he was like, 50-something? He's close to it. He's from Stoddard, not too far from here. Mm-hmm. And he pitched, well, the end of his career, he was with, with the Phillies when they went to the World Series. Um, but yeah, he was throwing 81, 82, mm-hmm. but he knew how to pitch. You know, like how can you throw 81, 82? And his, his other great pitch was a changeup. You know, how can you throw a changeup when you only throw 81, 82? Well, his changeup was a little bit slower, but it moved. No one Ryan, another one. It had great sync to it. And, and to, he knew he couldn't throw the ball over the middle of the plate. Mm-hmm. The ball had him have movement and he had a nibble and he had to keep you all, he had to keep you honest. You know, just as you don't have to throw, when we get back to these personal trainers and stuff, you don't have to throw 90 to 95 miles an hour to be, to be effective. Um, even when you, I watch like the College World Series every year, some of their pitchers are stoned in the mid-80s, mm-hmm. but they have great movement location. That's, that's the most important thing. If you can't locate it, no good. Yep, but... It's unfortunate that the game is moving more towards velocity and home runs. And Coach Weber and I talked about it. He's, he, made, he, he made up a great point. He says, out of 600 at-bats, you're only going to hit 40 home runs. Yeah, so that's basically, do my quick math, that's one out of every 15 at-bats. Mm-hmm. And those are your elite, elite players. Like, like so your Alonzo's and Trouts. One in a million players. So one out of every 15 at-bats, you're going you're gonna to hit a home run. Being in high school, like uh, Parkland's field is legit. You hit one out of there, especially when it's you know the wind doesn't always blow out. You know, give me somebody that's going to single and double you to death, then somebody that's going to gear up so they can hit one or two home runs a year. Home runs, they're overrated. And they strike out. They start. They probably strike out uh, six hundred at bats at least three hundred times now, at least. Yeah, why not? Especially. With Parkland's infield not being the, the smoothest surface ever. Oh, it's you know, not. You have, you have a better chance of hitting a ground ball and getting on with a bad hop than hitting one out of the yard. 
the only guy, and he wasn't a Parkland player that hit one where it was a moonshot was Justice last year, and that was in the EPCs. He hit one up at that big tree, and that was like crushed. Yeah, it, it happens, but it's... it never happens. That's the only ball I think I remember ever really getting out of it in our field. Yeah, and especially with the, the bats nowadays, you know, with all the the standards that the, the ones that you have to use, they don't have the same pop in them that they used to for player safety. It's kind of isn't it kind of ironic that now everybody wants personal trainers to get their kids bigger, stronger, and faster. But now that they do that. They have to design products to play the game to help keep people safe because people are getting too big, strong, and fast. Mm -hmm. It's kind of, you know, I, I look at my, my college team, the one that went to the, to the national championship. We, we were a power hitting team. I wasn't a power hitter, but we were a power hitting team. And I look at the size of our players and look at players today and we were a lot smaller, but we didn't have those restrictions on the bats and stuff. You know. I think I think that high school should actually go towards wooden bats because in college, most college teams are going towards the wooden bats to get you ready for the minor leagues. That's like that's the other. What what's the role of college and high school sports? I know coaches at Parkland have been criticized for not developing players for the next level. And then colleges now are not developing players for the next level. What, what is our true goal of all this? Um, you know, in high school, we're dealt with the hand we have with what players we have. Yep. Um, and if only two players in this area have made the major leagues in the last 30 years or so, is my ultimate goal to develop players for the major leagues? I think I'd be doing a disservice for everybody if that was my my goal or my – I mean, I wish they would make the major leagues, but – It's not going to happen. Yeah. It's and like, probably not going to happen. Am I going to go to college and let's like, play baseball at Kutztown because I want them to develop me for the major leagues? Great if it happens, but, you know, the chances are slim. Most players that make it to the major leagues are – probably from the warmer states, I would say. There are some that would – like, that make it really, really to the big time, like your Trouts. No, he was from New Jersey. Bryce Harper was from Florida. And Verlander was from Florida. Then you have, you know, the Dominican Republic. And yep. all that. They're getting a lot of talent. Cuba. Cheaper. Um, much cheaper, too. Yeah. And they're getting some of those kids real young. They're getting them in their farm systems, you know, well, while some of our kids are still in high school. Yep, and they literally leave their country at age 14 to go work with the Marlins, Mets, whatever, name the team. Yeah, I mean, how many rounds is the MLB draft? 40, or did they make it 50? I know this year it's five, but it's like 40. Think about it. That's over 1,000 kids getting picked every year. Yep. And then you still have the ones that are – um, undrafted that sign after. So you're probably looking at what close to 1500 kids a year. Yeah. And that's such a small percentage of the kids that play in college. It, it, it's, it is so difficult. So difficult. And then yeah, you got those kids getting drafted. Then you have the kids that are signing, like you said, from the Dominican, from Cuba. 
you know, again, I want all I the kids so. to support. I wish, I wish more kids would make it, but I don't think that's our job um, is to develop kids mm -hmm. for the MLB. Um, <laughs> maybe, yeah, should I go back and blame Mr. Sinzak for not developing me for the MLB? I'll just blame him for the fact that I'm still slow. <laughs> hey, the, the chances of anybody making it to the major leagues is one in a million. And I just I think just these trainers have to be a little more realistic with these kids. And I know for a fact at least my college coach is realistic with the kids about going. He even played at the University Park getting that call up. Because we're like the farm system sort of. We're like triple A team. They moved the other team, Harrisburg, down to double A sort of. That's like the roster area, at least just what I've been told. But even my coach is like the chances of you getting called up are like really slim. Yeah. It's 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 so tough. Um you know, Penn State Burks is gonna provide the kids with an education, they're gonna to get to play baseball, but if you were a major league kind of kid, you know, the bigger schools probably would have came calling for you. Now there are kids that fall through the cracks. Um, you know, again I, I know I'm against the travel teams and the showcases, but I know college coaches use them not because they like them. It's because they can see a bunch of kids in one weekend. Yep. That that's the main draw. Um, so now these college coaches now are, are looking at the, the physical tools of the kid um, during in, a, in one weekend. Um, but college coaches would still, some of them would still call because they still want to find out about the kid. Is he, is he a mentally tough kid? You know, houses, academics, and all this and that. So I did have um, a couple of college coaches tell me, you know, if they want the truth, they want to know what the, the true player is, contact the high school coach because I'm not getting paid any extra for anything. Meanwhile, those, those travel team coaches or those personal trainers are getting paid extra by those kids. Um, so they might not get a true – True thing. Again, we, I don't think I've ever said anything negative to a college coach about a kid. But, you know, if they ask about grades, you know, I, I have access to their grades and how is he as a teammate and, and all those things. Mm -hmm. you know, and and I, I know the, the former coach of LaSalle that took several of our players, um, he used to write me and, and I and say, you know, if we ever had any, if we ever had any more players, let them know because he loved the players he got their attitudes, their work ethics. So that was always like a feather in Parkland's cap that our kids that generally went on were prepared um, and knew how to play the game. You know, I think that the Lehigh coach, I still have a letter that he sent saying that it's funny when he comes and recruits from like Parkland and a few other teams in the Lehigh Valley, he goes, he knows he's going to get kids that know how to play the game, not just throw hard and, and swing for home runs. So that's us. That's what I think we are. We're, we're teaching the game, um, developing players that way. Um, you know, not developing players hit 400-foot home runs when they can. Mm -hmm. But I hope – I don't think the game's ever going to go back to what it was. But as long, as long as you have a good high school coach – I think it'll be you'll be okay, but that's what I'm most scared of. And I told Coach Trevor this when he was on the podcast. And this coaching staff leaves leaves. 
I think the program's in a little bit more trouble because I don't know if coaches are going to be able to put as much time or want to put as much time as these this coaching staff has. Yeah, I don't. I I think that the parents again. I I don't hear anything come out of of all that, but you know the parents that may not be thrilled with things won't realize how good you know he really was. It's gone because mm-hmm. um, he does things for the right reason. Yep, absolutely the right reason. Um, and, and the other thing, he's a Parkland person. He went to Parkland. He coached summer at Parkland. Um, his whole life has been Parkland. He's as loyal as there is to Parkland. And he doesn't, he's, he doesn't have, um, like, like you said, like a dog in the race. Like he doesn't have a son that's coming through the program where, oh, I'm sticking with this because my kid's coming through. Um, he's doing it because he loves Parkland. He wants to work with the kids in Parkland. And provide them the best opportunity and the best best program possible. And there's no doubt. If anybody tell you what, anybody ever doubts, you know, the the reasoning behind Coach Weber and stuff like they don't know him then. They don't. They they don't know the kind of person he is. Um, and that that's the stuff that that upsets me. Mm-hmm. People that don't know him and don't realize. Now I I didn't know Coach Weber at all when I came here. Um, I was told by Mr. Snizak, you know, to take up, to be an assistant here, to learn the program, you know, and, you know, I met, I met coach Weber then didn't know him at all. And it's over here just listening to him and stuff. Like, you won't find, you can't find a better person for that program. You can't just with his, and again, it's not, of course he's competitive as heck. He's oh yeah. Heck. Just he cause he doesn't look like he's. Yeah, he might be quiet, and he doesn't get – occasionally he can get riled up, you know, the right circumstance, seen it. Um, I've seen it once. It was funny. But, yeah, he's competitive, but just how he handles himself. You know, he handles up with class all the time, um, and he does what's best for the kids. He doesn't embarrass kids, but yet if they need it behind the scenes, you know, he teaches them lessons. He does. They, they might – they might not, might not see it at the time, but when they're done, they, they know it. They'll appreciate it. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm sure a lot of them that have left now look back and like, oh, my goodness, I had it so good there. Mm-hmm. So um, to end it here, I like to do a little rapid-fire section. Oh, no. So how do you think – Oh, no, this could be payback for all stuff. Go. It's not bad. I'll, I'll say that much. It's not bad. But uh, how do you see the Philadelphia Phillies stacking Uh-oh. up? I lost you. Oh, Hope you're back. Yep. So how do you see the Philadelphia Phillies stacking up? Okay. The Philadelphia Phillies, pitching is the name of the game. Offensively, they're fine. They have enough offensive firepower. that They, they can score runs. But the name of the game is pitching. I don't think they have enough. You know, Nola – could be a number one, a definite number two. You know, when Nola's on, he's, he's, he's good. You know, yes, they signed Wheeler from your team, which scares me. He's he gets injury-prone, I'll say. Yeah, he's injury-prone, but they had to do something. They had, they had to. With what they had, wasn't enough. Is Wheeler – could Wheeler be a good number two or three? Sure. It's an upgrade from what they had. Um, the big question to me is, like, is Jake Orietta, um, yeah, is he healthy? If he's healthy – Okay, he's not going to be a Cy Young winner again. 
but he can be a solid back back of the rotation guy. If those three pan out, you know, they, they still they have to find a fourth and fifth. I just don't think they have enough pitching depth. I don't. Um, they're going to be one of these teams again when the year ends up. They're going to be hovering around 500. I do like the fact that, thank God, they have a new coach. Joe Girardi. Girardi will help. I think that will get them a couple extra wins. They'll be able to, to again, I think, get that, that, that good clubhouse. Um, if it was a 162-game season, I would go 84 and 78. There you go. A little bit above, I think a little bit above 500. Which could be a wild card team in the way the National League East. It could be. Again, it, it comes down to health, too. You know, if, if they stay healthy and those – all these ifs, and if the pitchers perform like they could. But, now I, I see right around 500. All right. So, you're a Seinfeld fan. <laughs> yes. I'm a Seinfeld fan. Your favorite Seinfeld episode. Ooh. Oh boy! Oh. Oh, there are so many good ones. All right, I will just say is I like. There's so many good ones, but I'm gonna go. Do you know the contest? Yep. The contest episode is a classic, and that's one of the first ones I always think of. Um, and the other one that I really liked it was actually I just watched it not too long ago. It's when they went to to go see the baby. Um, in the Hamptons, mm-hmm. when George went in the pool. Oh, I know. I know. Those those two are are really good ones. I, I like the one where the reporter is eavesdropping on them, and they and the oh. like, you should just come out yeah. with it. Right. I was watching that before we did the podcast. It was on TV. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's a good episode too. I I have rewatched Seinfeld. It's a very – and I still think it's funny. Some people say it's outdated, but I still think it is one of the funniest shows. You can, there's something true in every episode that happens in real life. Yep. The show about nothing when they I had to present that to NBC, and, he, and then George is like, it's a show about nothing. And then Jerry's face like, what are you – you're blowing it for us. Like, I was, I was laughing at my – But it's true. It's the show about nothing. That's, that's the show. And – um. Jerry Seinfeld's a diehard Met fan too, which makes it even better for me to. Jerry's my least. Jerry's my least favorite character. So. Kramer, I think George is my favorite character. George, I think George is the best. In, independent George. <laughs> I was watching my dad, and I love that when he says, "You're killing independent George." Independent George. You know, George tried to go, you know, work for the Mets. And he went. Yep, that's another one of my favorite episodes. Oh, another one I'm just thinking of is when Keith Hernandez and um, Kramer, the spitting in the face with the and nice game, pretty boy. That's another one where I chuckle. Magic, yes, the magic loogie. Yep, another great. Seinfeld's the greatest show on. It's it's up there for comedies. It's one of the greatest comedies of all time. Number one. Curb your enthusiasm. I have HBO. I I started to watch that again. Very another funny show. If we stay quarantined much longer, maybe I'll have to start checking that one out. I, I think Larry David does a great job. He also brings a little Seinfeld into it, too. So, another good show. Um, man, Seinfeld. It, it's good they still play it on. Play, I don't know how much longer I'd be able to survive watching old baseball content. <laughs> um, favorite 
Philadelphia Phillies memory. I did it with Coach Weber and my other guests. Oh, boy. Favorite? Well, I was alive for the 1980 Tug McGraw, and I still picture it to this day. Bases loaded. Mm-hmm. Um, struck out Willie Wilson, on which would have been a ball, on a high fastball. I had someone goes out of that upstairs. Which another part of that, which was a great one that Coach Weber would appreciate, because I'm sure he likes this player, Pete Rose um, made a play, a foul pop-up and foul ground. Bob Boone goes over to the dugout to make the catch, bounces out of his glove, and Pete Rose was there, and when he came out of out of Boone's glove and was able to catch it before it hit the turf. That was an unbelievable play. Um, Another one, it's, it might not be my favorite, but I was actually at the 1983 World Series Phillies-Orioles in Veterans Stadium when Phillies lost the World Series. I was there. I could not handle that. Eddie Murray hit two upper deck home runs, and Cal Ripken was the shortstop of the Orioles. I was there, and I watched them celebrate. Yeah, that was a rough. I was young. I was only, I think, 12 at the time. But that was, that was terrible. But I, was, I think the Tug McGraw, because that was, I think, one of my first – because back then the Phillies all – I mean, the, the Phillies sports were all really good. They were all making it to championships, but couldn't get over the hump and win it. So that was kind of my first one that I actually witnessed. So I would say that Tug McGraw strikeout and seeing Bob Boone just walk out with his arms up in the air that they finally won the championship.